Welcome everybody to Way of the Blade, the podcast. I am your host, Phil Schneider, author of Way of the Blade, 100 of the greatest bloody matches in professional wrestling history, and a writer for the Segunda Caida blog and The Ringer. I am uh, pleased to be joined by a longtime friend of mine, Alan Cunahan. He's the host of the Pro Rest Paradise podcast on the Pro Wrestling Torch and a contributor to the Pro Wrestling Torch and a former commentator for WXW in Germany and a longtime guy talking about wrestling on the internet. Uh, Alan, how are you, my friend? Phil, it is a delight to be on with you. We were just saying how, like, to me, it feels like I am a longtime veteran of the wrestling internet, but to you, I am a child still. <laughs> Some kid I, uh, talking about wrestling has been on, just been, you know, around since 2004, like a goddamn green horde. <laughs> <laughs> I am to you what, like, all these, like, uh, all these new greenhorns are to me. <laughs> it's great. So we are here to talk uh, about just uh, anything and everything, but also uh, Toshiaki Kawada versus Akira Taue, January 15th, 1991. All Japan heavyweight wrestling, four pillars. Hell yeah. Stuff. Right? This is, this is, this is the thing. People are saying all oh, wrestling's really great now, but this is where it was, right? 1990s, all Japan, sort of the most canonized stuff amongst uh, nerds who talk about wrestling on the internet. And this is interesting because obviously these are two of the four pillars, two of the four, you know, icons of all Japan professional wrestling along with Mitsuhara Misawa and Kenta Kobashi. But this isn't that. Right? No. This isn't this isn't what you said. If somebody said what I I should watch an all Japan match to get to understand what you're talking about, you would not show them this. This is something completely different. Something you know, maybe equally as awesome as, you know, one of those... You uh, know, Phil, I'm going to jump right in there because I would say if someone, and I have been asked many a time about, like, recommendations for getting into All Japan, and I never like to point people towards the big epic matches as, like, to jump in on because... The numbers. Just, you don't give them the numbers. You don't yeah, say, oh, it, six, four, nine, four, you don't give whatever, whatever, no, nine, six. No, I, I just think there's, like, because they what's the point like it, they won't fully appreciate it for what it is and they won't kind of understand what the levels that there are to it and, and at worst they might just be like oh, i don't really kind of get this or not think it's a i think it's far better to give someone kind of the more kind of i don't want to say run the mill because that wouldn't be the case in this context with this match but just some kind of build uh, the odd build-up match here or there just different things that were like enjoyable for what they were just to give people a taste of who these guys were and kind of the way they went about things in the ring and then if you like what you see then kind of gradually build up and then when you get to watch an epic triple crown match or a champion carnival final or one of those amazing tags it's like oh because I, I feel like I did it backwards because I remember my cousin when I was like 16 or 17, my cousin giving me a CD-ROM with uh, a bunch of matches on it and CZW music videos. Um, and uh, <laughs> one of the matches was uh, Kobashi versus Misawa. I think it was the 97 match, maybe. And I had never seen either guy before. I knew of them in terms of their names from reading Paris Slam magazine, but I'd yet to see a match. And I remember my first thought being, 
why are these guys trunks so high up on their on their waist and little did i know that was a giant baba requirement um and uh yeah i just remember the match being long and epic and it kind of going over my head and then what i did a couple of years later was uh with the uh, the help of your great uh message board death valley driver video review i was able to do research and kind of see okay these are kind of like this is a good starting point these are guys learned a bit about it found all the match links and i just started watching stuff through in order from 89 onwards and i just i was hooked so so quickly and i remember specifically because it was it was um it was a christmas probably a christmas 05 or 06 i want to say that i started doing this and I just burned through 89 and 90 so quick. And then I remember seeing this match from the very beginning of 1991 and it just lighting a fire under me. I was like, oh, my God, this is I was I was just so into the dynamic of Akira Tawe and Toshiaki Kawada after this match. And then when you see them as rivals here, it makes them as a tag team with the Holy Demon Army take on such another level of meaning when you get to all that stuff it, it makes kawada shaking Tawei's hand and becoming his teammate so much more impactful when you've seen them trying to commit a murder on each other here in cork and hall yeah because this match is what 12 minutes yeah i mean so you know it's like obviously the sort of iconic all japan matches are all like 30 you know 25 to 40 minutes long and this thing is just you know this is like what you would do if this was not the main event, but the semi-main event of a Mid-South Coliseum card in 85, right? Where Taxon, Jim Duggan, and Buzz Sawyer or something like that. They go out and beat the <laughs> shit out of each other for 11 minutes. You know, Flair's on top, go to work 35 against Butch Reed or something like that. But this is the thing that's going to heat that up. Um, this which is, is remarkably which is awesome. like... This is a remarkably like the Hacksaw Duggan Buzz Sawyer matches. Yeah. Uh, their their November eighty five match, November eleventh eighty five, is maybe my favorite brawl in wrestling history. And uh, this runs it. Uh, this runs it pretty close. I gotta say. Yeah, I mean, and so it's so funny. I I started watching this stuff relatively contemporaneously to when it was happening. I basically discovered uh, the, uh, right around. Right around, you know, this time around 90, 94, 95, that there was a Japanese video store that had Japanese uh, wrestling television videotapes for rent. Uh, the near my parents, not too far from my parents' house. So I'd come home from college and then I would rent all these videotapes and I got two VCRs and started making, this is even before Schneider comps, started making just comps of the stuff from Japanese television. And then trying to sell it and trade it on RSPW, and so the, I would I saw like it's funny you watch the stuff kind of in order, which is cool because you know obviously I coming into I don't know when I saw this match for the first time, but I had always my experience were Kawada and Tawei as a tag team, right? That was the thing that I was familiar with, and to watch them against each other and try to kill each other, it's like wow, this is you know I know these dudes as a tag team, right? That's my experience with them, you know, because I saw I got a tape of. You know, whatever, Kawada, Misawa, 90 for the commercial tape of that, you know, a month after it happened. And watched it kind of contemporaneously. Uh, and then was reading on guys who, you know, like like John D. Williams and, and uh, uh, Boston Idol on the other arena boards back in, the, you know, around that time. Who would go deep, deep, deep into the history of this stuff and kind of, you know, really teach and educate 
on this era um, of stuff. So it was always kind of I, I. So my experience watching this match was really incongruous because you just I just don't think of these guys as rivals, even obviously they had a big feud. And then to watch this, where it's just like they're you know, uh, you know, Kawada is trying to cave Tawi's head in, you know, three minutes into the match. And it's so, it's so great how they kind of. They both end up taking the same turn and making the same decision, but Tawei is just earlier in it than Kawada. Tawei is like, I don't like the cut of this Masawa guy's jib. You know, I'm 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 not I'm not going on his. I was it's really cool because I only noticed this for the first time recently when Masawa beats Jumbo, and it's like the only time I think ever that the four pillars are all in the ring together on the same side is at the end of that match mm-hmm. and. Um, they're all celebrating. I should say they're all. I shouldn't say they're all celebrating because three of them are celebrating. Kawada and Kobashi are hoisting Mishawa up on their shoulders. Kawada's even smiling, I think. And Tawei's in there. He gives like a half-hearted clap, and then he leaves. <laughs> right. I mean, and it, he always his the thing about Tawei that's always so great is he always he was always part of them. I think, and he always had the sense of the guy in the ba- the like the bassist in the band who was really really pissed at the amount of girls the guitarist got (laughs) you know like he was always like these fucking guys they don't have any musicianship at all he's just got pretty (laughs) hair you know what i mean that was my vibe of times i always kind of looked semi-pissed off he always looked a little irritated with all of you know kobashi and misawa shit i mean it's so funny to think of misawa who's obviously famously stoic and unresponsive as your lead singer but that was kind of yeah. how you know, like he's jim morrison but that's kind of how it was right Tawi's this guy's not as athletic right he's kind of you know lumpy and Kabashi's, Kabashi's just in there dripping sweat in the gym working really hard Tawi walks past with a cigarette just a look of disgust on his face i was like oh this guy with his weights <laughs> did you ever hear the story of uh Tawei's kid um, uh, ratting him out to um, to Jumbo. Jumbo bought Tawei a set of weights to use at home, and uh, um, he came over to visit one day. And Tawei takes out the weights and starts uh, doing a few curls. And in front of, uh, in, I think I said Jumbo. I meant Baba. Baba uh, comes in, and uh, then the kid comes in and sees Tawei lifting the weights. He's like, Dad, you, you've never used those before. <laughs> Baba's like, oh, I got you these a year ago. <laughs> like, oh, look, yeah, look, I'm doing, doing presses. Look, oh, this is great. Yeah. Right, so it's, uh, and even in this, it's like, you know, he does kind of, he, he really does look like, you know, he has kind of this look of like this fucking kid. Because he's older. Yeah. Uh, and not by a lot, but, by, but that kind of stuff matters a lot in Japan, right? Yeah. Even if it's a year or two. Um, and you know, he, and, and Kawada is not showing him deference or respect in this match. I mean, he takes his head and just tries to, you know, really open it on some, on a table. Yeah. And yeah. he has that chair going, going after him with the chair. He's hitting him with like the, the inside part of the chair. So like all the bars and the bolts and yeah. stuff like that. Just, he's really, and uh, just, just busts Tawai up. And that's where we get the. The great trickle of blood that turns into a lot of trickles of blood, which is just this amazing imagery of this match. I'm sure that's something that with so many of the matches uh, you've talked about on the podcast, that's that's been a big thing is when you get that kind of 
image of the the blood there's such a such a memorable one here in in this but um like for me it the thing that i love about this match is how for the whole 12 minutes there is not a moment where they aren't fighting and i don't just mean one guy beating the other guy up i mean they're they it seems like they're both simultaneously beating each other up at all times like Tawei's got a leg lock on Kawada Kawada's kicking him in the face um Tawei's stomping Kawada while he's outside the ring and Kawada's like fuck you for stomping me and grabbing him by his foot and just trying to reef him out to the outside it's just they're just at each other's throats it's not your turn my turn it's your turn my turn my turn your turn my turn, your turn, your turn. <laughs> like exactly like, they never stop they never stop and go all right this is the time where you do a move this is the time nope i'm gonna you're gonna try something and i'm gonna simultaneously be grabbing at your ear while yeah. you're doing it um clawing at each other's faces everything and i love this isn't actually in the match but right before the match on the on the home release of it or the tv or whatever it was it's the version that's on youtube and um, they show kind of the brawl that they had a few weeks earlier um in the annual new year's battle royal these guys had no interest in this uh happy fun battle royal that all japan kick off the year with all these other guys in the ring kamala too and the like and they're doing their battle royal comedy spots and kawada and Taue are outside the ring having a hellacious brawl which included Kawada picking up a woman's handbag and smashing Tawe over the head with it as many times as he could. It was literally handbags a quirk and all. It yeah, was so good. Uh, tremendous. <laughs> and and, uh, like Russia Kavara's like, hey guys, like this is where I do my seven minutes of stand-up comedy. You gotta put the chairs <laughs> down. Stop taking away. I got jokes over here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then they, they carry it like literally the, the Kawada's coming to the ring. And Taui bull rushes him as he's entering the ropes. It's like there's no there's no easing into this thing. It's as intense in the first few seconds as it is in the finish. And I don't know if you want to talk about the finish yet, but uh, uh, we, yeah, well, I was I just I just rewound. I got the video on while we we're talking. I just rewound to that that uh, part you're talking about at the beginning of the video. It's great because they show these guys absolutely well each other, and they cut quickly to the ring to like Johnny Ace drop kicking Abby, and then them all like piling on for the pinball <laughs> this thing and meanwhile meanwhile over in the corner because he's just wailing on him with the purse <laughs> they're like oh it's now's the time where we all pin abby <laughs> my friend eric who writes was a good guy and i think at one point said he wanted to write up every all japan battle royal as like a project oh god he's uh, here <laughs> Hello, like, oh, project. This one's real. This one's got some really good, uh, good, re- really good uh, in a way. Like, all right, young in a way. I'm like, okay, you say so, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the 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 all Japan battle royal. Um, not quite as taken as seriously as uh, more famous battle royals that happen in January every year around the wrestling world. Yes, right. I love that. I remember it was always something they would say about like Big Vito. As like a part of his resume, it was the yes. one Finn Masao in a battle royal, and it's like you—they would always say that. It's like, man, has nobody ever seen one of these battle royals? 
He didn't pin him like by hitting his finisher on him and get you know like rolling him deep for a dramatic that's what he was freak telling, out. That's what he was telling people in the locker rooms and stuff. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I, I pinned the sour, pinned yeah. the shoulders to the mat, having looking up at the lights. I mean, it's probably like technically nine guys true, right? Nine pile. guys, including Kamala too, was were also on top of him at the same time. You were just the bottom. It's like I, Wolf Hawkfield is holding them down. <laughs> it's, it's like I, I remember I uh, I once had a uh, played a rugby game in college in the middle of like a like a thought like a torrential downpour. Oh, and those are always fun. Yeah, it was a game where I scored like two tries, and I was a prop. So I wasn't necessarily doing that. But it, so I was saying, yeah, like I had two tries in the game. Like, oh man. But it wasn't because I was juking people midfield and like spin moving and breaking tackles. No, it was a, a goddamn mud pit and I ended up on the ball twice. <laughs> 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 Squirting around. Like I was I was, you know, like in this pigsty, I was the pig that got the <laughs> corn cob. <laughs> 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 oh my god, Phil, I'm having horrible flashbacks to like awful Saturday afternoons when I was thirteen. Oh, just miserable. Oh. Miserable. Oh, I loved it. I mean, the worse the field conditions, the more better I, w- I was. Cause it's like I'm not like I said, I'm not gonna make a lot of j- jukes and open field tackles, but you put me in a mud pit. And tell me to tell me to go get <laughs> go get a ball. I'll go get the ball. Like, uh, the, the less athletic the endeavor, and the more ugly it was, the more I'm in my uh, I'm in my <laughs> in my element. The more I was out of mine, I was yes. the complete opposite. I was like, oh no, my shorts are gonna get dirty. Okay. <laughs> you were. I remember my rugby coach always said there were two types of guys. There were guys who played the piano and guys who carried the piano. You were a piano <laughs> player. <laughs> In rugby, uh, I was, I okay, was I, definitely. Yeah, I was yeah. definitely a piano carrier. I I liked my passing technique, and I, I like to do uh, nice little kicks and uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, a nice a nice targeted kick to the winger. Oh, uh, beautiful! Always fun. <laughs> nope. I said, can I jam my Can I jam my thumb knuckle into some guy's ear in a scrum? <laughs> okay, good. Let me do that. <laughs> Oh god, tremendous! It's a, the, the, it's a wrestling days, right? You're like you're you're the Dragon's Gate fan of a rugby player. I'm a, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a guy, I'm a guy who likes food, Dad. Yeah. It's a different kind of thing. You, we've nailed it. We have we have figured it all out here. <laughs> this is this is a prop match, though, right? There's yeah, nothing oh, pretty this... about this at all. We were yeah. oh, you asked about the finish. I mean, the finish. I just love the finish because it's like. Yeah, it's just, I'm going to fucking, you're headbutting me, and I'm just going to hit you as hard as I can in the back of the head with a clothesline, and I'm going to pin you, and I don't know, that could be a finish, or couldn't be a finish, we keep fighting or not keep fighting, right? Like, <laughs> you know, you're using these all Japan, these intricate, complex, beautiful finishing sequences with the Tiger Driver 94s. And yeah, the... This wasn't this wasn't a Danny Crawford devised. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. or Johnny Ace putting his uh, great great mind for a finish uh, to to use. No, no, no. This was, <laughs> uh, but, but it's still it's so it's beautiful in its simplicity, right? Like, I mean, the way Kawada drops from getting hit with that lariat i'm like or sorry taway drops because taway is he's kind of in control could taway is is kind of getting like we say they're both scrapping and fighting the whole time there's no real control period right. but taway you feel is getting the better of the fight like he's pretty bigger, much the whole, right so it's yeah. like you know when you're talking about something like this when it is not going to reward technique it's not going to be something that that uh 
you know, is going to be who can, you know, apply the the holds on the mat or the suplex. It's just going to be just a, a five, I mean, you know, three inches and 40 pounds really matters in this kind of thing. And he was starting to get it. And, you know, like, Kawada does this kind of, like, almost, uh, you know, uh, Hail Mary inside cradle right before this, where he does feel like a guy who's getting a little overwhelmed. He caught Kawada early and busted him open, and eventually now it's starting to go the other way, right? The tide has started to turn and Tawe started to take over. And, you know, that's, that's how it's going to work sometimes when you, when you're, when you have a smaller guy against a bigger guy and then Kawhi just goes, all right, I got to just, I got to end this now. So I'm going to see if I can, I can, you know, separate this head from the back of his neck with this clothesline. <laughs> I'm going to hit him as hard as I can. And he's going to, you know, that'll work or it won't work. Yeah, um, right in the right in the base of the skull, oh God, kind of top of the a, neck. It was I mean, it, it, the kind of it did look like it did not look. It didn't look like there was a lot of artifice and close magic. That's this is a guy who knows how to make it look good, right? None of that stuff, right? It really feels like Kwan just decided, oh, I'm going to hit him as hard as I can with the clothes well, if, the back if, of his head. If, and if it was Phil, if it was a case like that, then. Jesus Christ, Toshiaki Kawada knows how to make it look good. Like right. what? What? What a magician! If that is the case, but I don't think that's the case. I think <laughs> no, I think no. I think I remember th- this one may have even been before your. Uh, I think it's even before your time. We were talking about the old days of the internet, but I don't know if you were around during when we used to do Death Valley Driver five hundreds. Oh, well, I read them all after the fact. Uh, I even read the response to them. Like I read Lance Storm's like criticisms. Well, four then this years is what I'm talking about. The Lance Storm's credit. One of Lance Storm's big criticism is that we had Kawada so high with the idea like that guy's not even a real worker. He just kicks people as hard as he can. And we're like, yeah, it's fucking great. I'm not. I don't care. If, I don't care. I don't care if Rob Van Dam's shoulder was sore the day after. I don't give a shit. It looked incredible, and you can see like this. You watch, watching this. You can be watching, imagine that Lance Storm would be like, well, "That's not fucking wrestling." <laughs> That guy just oh, that guy just slammed with the back of his head as hard as he could. <laughs> Kawada's also like on his worst day a thousand times the seller landstorm ever oh, was. I so. mean, there's there's no comparison it's, at yeah, all but, between. I mean, you know, no comparison. Lance, I mean, yeah, whatever. Landstorm. We, we we'd have we'd have a lot of great selling around the world in pro wrestling right now if Lance had been showing people Kawada tapes in the Storm Wrestling uh, Academy all those years. <laughs> right. Um, but. Uh, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, there there were two um, there were two Taiwei spots in this match, which were uh, um, on the surface sound like kind of cool moves, but the way they were done was just oh, just tremendous. A a tope, which was like a flying bus falling out of the ring, and and then the other one was the DDT out of the corner. What did you think of that? Oh my god, it just drives him. It like it like like you like it like a a Bronco Buster taking down a steer, right? Just drags him down by the head. It's so great. That tope. I mean, I got you know, I like a pretty dive too. I like an ugly dive. You know what I mean? Or it just looks like here's this guy, he's coming. And you know, do it do with it what you will. There's no way there's no way to make it look good. It's gonna hurt like shit when he lands on top of you. I mean Tawi had a great, great tope. Yeah. Not yeah. a tope, not a tope that's designed for to be gifted in uh, on Twitter. But a tope well, that looks like be. that looks like <laughs> that does look like a, a you know, six foot what is he, six four, six five? 
I'd say two, six five. If two, certainly two seventy or something like that, probably. Just yeah. coming. Yeah, he out looks of, like a heavy man as well. Just like his, his bones are heavy. Everything is like it's, it's just awkward right. to lift. Everything density. about him just, does feel like a guy with some density. Yeah, he's not going up <laughs> easy for things either. He's not no. like he's going to be. Uh, yeah, be like who? Did, who was the went up? Uh, oh yeah, Tully Blanchard. You see Tully Blanchard taking that go to sleep last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like Taoi uh, going up for anything. Just yeah. But in, in a way, right? But then of course he would take these incredible looking suplexes and stuff like that in a way that I mean he do it, it, it I, I his think, own unique way of taking stuff but, but, and it, but it, it he would for him it wouldn't it would look great so it was yeah. it didn't get this and then he was actually sandbagging anyone no but it was no. like he did look like a guy that I mean that's the thing I you know he made it look like he was struggling against the move yeah it made it look like there was some I mean too much wrestling these days I mean you know at this point we're just old men yelling at clouds even you but uh, Alan is, you know, getting on. But like, it, it, too much of wrestling today looks effortless. Like, oh my god, that was effortless. Well, it should look like some effort. I want to see a little effort, right? I want it to look like, you know, rather than look. Oh my god, look how easy. Look how look how he jumped into that suplex. No, like twelve. He's like, you gotta. You're gonna have to. I'll take a German suplex on the top of my head, but you gotta. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to strain your back and ribs lifting my big ass up to do it, right? Because yeah. he actually, the landings always look great. Like, Cowie yeah. would take, like, a, you know, a back suplex or a tiger suplex, and they would look incredible, just like the other guys. It just would be like he would have to really, you know, haul his big ass up there and then drop him like that. Whereas, you know, like, what if I don't have a lot of cri- uh, criticisms of Vader, one of the greats of all time, but Vader sometimes would go up very athletically for suplexes. Where it's like he shouldn't be flying that that high into a, a German suplex, right? It should look like you're trying to lift a fucking four hundred and eighty five pound guy up into a suplex. I I agree with you, but the only people I can picture giving Vader suplexes right now are the Steiners, and I firmly believe the Steiners could literally suplex anyone easily. I, so. I think Sting gave him some too. I even think he oh, took. Oh yeah, Sting. I think Sting he took the German, right? I even think he took one from Anoki. <laughs> well, he gave Inoki. He gave that one to Inoki, which is still like the greatest German suplex of all time. Where he just long darts. Oh my god! I was uh, watching some. Uh, I was watching some of the. I was watching some of the Vader Dustin matches because we're doing uh, the Dustin of the Day book because it's the next book. So we're into, really me and Tom are really into the you know deep dive in the Dustin stuff. And man, alive is Vader incredible. That is completely aside. But damn, was Vader you, incredible in those matches? Not to go off course, but. Uh, with having We've done been the on podcast. course for 25 minutes. That's <laughs> way longer than I'm on course most of the time with these podcasts. We're, 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 we're well to the point where I randomly look up some wrestler that has nothing to do with the match, uh, a cage match for 10 minutes. This is, this is the point of the podcast we're expecting. So oh, off topic. Let's do it. Well, I was just curious uh, with you having had Dustin on the podcast and uh, an amazing show. If anyone's listening to me here right now and hasn't listened to the Dustin one, what are you doing? Go back and listen to that ahead of this, please. But um, yeah, he was great. And I was just curious, like, does he, what level of awareness does he have that you're doing that book? And is he excited about it? I, he, he knows that we're doing the book for sure. And I think he's excited about it. I, you know, there was some talk about trying to get him involved and that's gotten into my publisher talking to his lawyer. And so who knows if it's actually going to happen, but I think he knows about it. I don't think he knows that much about what I do and what Tom does. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to be a different, it's, you know, it's going to be weird. 
I mean, yeah. even weirder than way of the blade, even weirder than the stuff I'm writing for the ringer. So I don't know. You know, who knows what he'll think of the final product if he ends up seeing it. But he definitely does know we're doing it. I mean, I you know, t- t- Tony knows we're doing it too, and I think that's part of the reason that he you know set this up. Tony Khan, my friend Tony Khan, I call him Tony. Uh, <laughs> TK, you know, TK, right? Uh, you know, so uh, that's what uh, one of the reasons he got that set up. Um, so yeah, he knows we're doing the book. It should be kind of cool. I mean, it is cool. it is weird that. You know, the the point where people are, you know, I know people who are involved in this stuff or reading the stuff I do. And I, I guess I always knew that they were, but I, but I, you know, it definitely is, I definitely know it now, more, way more now than I did like, you know, three or four years ago, where you could kind of just write in a vacuum. Right. And you're just like, I'm just going to write this and who knows if anybody's going to read it. And I'm like, ah, oh, people are reading it. You know, people are, people are going to read the stuff I write, you know, wrestlers are going to read the stuff I say about them on the ringer. People are going to, wrestlers I know are going to read this book, you know, listen to these pods. So it's, it's weird. <laughs> How, hey, you, do you do a lot of writing. Do you, you write about mostly a lot of Japanese wrestling though. So those guys don't know what you're doing, yeah. right? Well, I had, a uh, uh, AJ Styles once got mad about something I wrote. Um, and Marty Skrull, that, that uh, I was going to use a very bad word that I won't use. Um, th- that guy, uh, he uh, he got mad because in the FSM 51 year, which was, uh, I guess, my version of the Def Valley Driver 500 uh, um, that we were doing in Fighting Spirit magazine. Um, uh, yeah, we had Marty in like his peak year, like 2016 or 17, I don't know what it was. Had him like at seven or something like that, seven, somewhere in like, around the top 10. So he was and mortified that he was anywhere in the top 50. Was that what he was? Yeah, he should have been. Should, yeah, so like, I'm not as that. good as but, any of these guys. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, he thought he should be higher. And I was like, you know, we're saying you're like the seventh best wrestler in the world of all the wrestlers in the world this year. And there's been a shitload of good wrestling this year. You arrogant fuck. I mean, I saw Marty Skrull live a couple times for Evolve. I don't think he was the ever the seventh guest guy. I'd want to I was live. Yeah. The act gets old. Even, even when, even when I like that guy, that yeah, the act gets old. Um, but I, dev- uh, I definitely saw him live and I definitely thought, well, he's probably better than, uh, one of these two guys in suits. Uh, who like our uh, um, Malcolm Bivens is is uh, managing, but I'm not sure he's better than the other guy in a suit. Remember those guys well, from Evolve? What the fuck were those guys called? Um, are you talking about actually guys with suits? I... Two like big guys with suits. The, the, the guys that were from Takara, like Flex Rumble Crunch, and or whatever they were yeah, called. Yeah, they had different names. I think at Evolve. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was better uh, than one. He'd be watch one of those shows. He'd be better than one of those guys, but not better than those. Guys. One of those guys. One of those guys had a really nice tope. Hey, not hey Phil, Speaking of topes, Akira Taue, and guess what I've researched here while we were talking. Akira Taue, a couple of a couple of matches with the aforementioned Dustin Rhodes. Were you aware of these? Um, I was there. I don't know how much how much Dustin in Japan is on tape. Well, we got we got a nineteen man battle royal. That's what we got. Okay, maybe I can have Eric, my buddy Eric, guest write an article on the nineteen man battle hey, royal. It, it, it may it might as well have been nineteen ninety one at the Royal Albert Hall because you got Davy Boy Smith emerging victorious here at the Hiroshima Prefectural Gymnasium. Well, give me all nineteen. Who are we? So we got Davy okay, Boy Smith. We, we got Akira Tawe. We got Dustin. We got Abdullah the Butcher, Giant Baba. Goro Surumi, Aruka Aigen, 
Johnny Smith, Jumbo Saruta, Kenta Kobashi, Mitsuhara Misawa, Matoshi Okuma, Ranger Ross. Ranger Ross. <laughs> All Japan Roger icon, Kimura, Ranger Ross, sure. Steve Williams and Terry Gordy, Grey Kabuki, Toshi Aki Kawada, and finally, Tiger fucking Jeet fucking Singh. Yes. We all, every what one a of those, lineup. Every all one of those stars. guys. Kabuki. I love Kabuki. I'm the biggest Kabuki fan in the world. I would, you know, if I could, I bet he's a guy who looks really great in a 19 man battle royal, too. Because he could <laughs> oh, just yeah. kind of wander around throwing those really great looking uppercuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the hell stab to the throat. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, have you ever come across Cyber Kong in Dragon Gate? Uh, I have not. <laughs> okay, well, he's he's now he lost his mask a few years ago. He's he's Takashi Yoshida now, and uh, he does that move. And uh, every time he hits it, he goes "Shut up, shut up!" because he's like doing the thing to the guy's throat. It's "Shut up, shut up!" Yeah. It's uh, and he, the move is called "Shut up" now when he, okay. when he does it. He does he the also, kabuki. kabuki. I, I like a kabuki uppercut. Maybe I'll give Cyber Kong a chance. Yeah, I think of all you know. To be honest, of all the Dragon Gate current roster, I think it's maybe taking out Mochizuki. I think the guy you'd probably enjoy right now the most is a big burly uh, Takashi Yoshida. He's definitely the most rugby style rester on the Dragon Gate uh-huh. roster. I would say. <laughs> I mean, but I, I, you know, part of this new gig that I have now with the Ringer is that I am doing. Three matches a week, one match from WWE, one match from AEW, one match from everywhere else in the world. And I already told Alan, I said, you know, you, you like it's a Dragons goal. game match. I, I will watch a Dragons a game, match. game match. In that column this year. All I'm right. going to make it happen. All right. I, I, I will. I am I'm telling you, I'm, you're going to have me on tape on the award-winning Wave of the Blade podcast saying, if you send me a Dragons game match to watch, I will watch a Dragons game match. I can now tell my wife, sweetheart. I've got to go downstairs and watch wrestling for my job. And I can, and it's actually a legitimate thing I can tell her, and it's not bullshit. And it's like, you got to watch the kids for a couple, a uh, little bit. i got to go watch uh, a Beyond show on, um, on the computer downstairs. So you sent me a Dragon's Kid. I go, look, i got to watch, uh, i got to see what, um, I don't know, is Dragon Kid still around? I don't even know who's in Dragon Kid anymore. He is. Shima's gone, is. right? Shima's been gone for 15 years. Shima's, Shima, Shima's, over, Shima's over doing Shima things in uh, in in great and uh he is um uh persona non grata in dragon gate but uh uh yeah uh i i'm not sure what the dragon gate match will be this year that will have the chance of making it into that third slot um but i'm hoping there'll be one and i will i will make sure i send it your way when it when i see it when i see the dragon gate match so i think of you it will be sent to you all right i'm uh, excited and a little uh a little nervous, both of them at the well, same it, time. It, pr- like, it probably w- it probably won't be Dragon Dia for that won't mean anything to you, Phil. But I think anyone who's familiar with Dragon Dia will get a good laugh out of the thought <laughs> of you watching a uh, and reviewing a Dragon Dia match. Right. Um, whoever, but, or whatever that that is, I'll, I will check it out if you tell me to check it out. I will trust. <laughs> I mean, I imagine you. We we've we've known each other for a long time, so we got a sense. Of what my, of what you what I might like what I might I, I almost a Mochizuki match almost made it this week it was yeah. definitely I, it was number two in the queue in I was Noah all set versus... to write it and then I really really uh, liked uh, liked this uh, the um, uh, Speedball Mike Bailey ECH match which uh, which I ended up being in there which also was a little weird that I you know but that was on my list yeah Speedball versus an ACH or Masakatsu Funaki at fifty. 
three years of age versus Mazaki Mochizuki at 52 years of age. Uh, incredible stuff. But uh, yeah, that Mochizuki Funaki match in Noah, people should check it out. Yeah, uh, it's, didn't it's quite good. make Dean's list, but it's it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Um, it's, it's worth. It's definitely you know old dudes. Do you know what was probably some good stuff too? The other Dustin Taiwei match that made tape. There's Let's only hear one it. other made tape. You're saying it's made um, tape though, so I should be able to find this somewhere? Hopefully, yeah. Okay. It was two weeks after the Battle Royal, so there was still some bad blood in the air, so they need to settle it. So you get a, a Taiwei says to Dustin, you know what? What dream partner tag match, buddy? Let's go. You you get your best partner. I'll get my best partner. So they they arrive at the Nakajima Sports Center in Sapporo. Kira Tawe brings along with him Mighty Inoue. Dustin Rhodes brings along with him Mark Scarpa. Mark who? <laughs> Mark Scarpa, the son of Chief J Strongbow, I believe. Oh my gosh! Uh, let me see if I got this right. Uh, yeah. Oh, maybe not Sons Chief Chase. Yeah, because Chief Chase Strongbow is Joe Scarpa, right? I'm sure. <laughs> I, I, I think I think that's uh, I think I have my history so right here. So was, was he somebody who wrestled? Was he the guy who wrestled as? Because there was somebody who wrestled as Chief Chase Strongbow Junior, right? Um, I thought there was. Was his other name Mark Scarpa's other names were uh, Todd Overbow. Uh, Vince Young, Mark Young, Mark Scarpa, and Mark Pyle. Okay. Um, I don't. Oh, do you know who he was? He he came into WCW in. Oh, let me see. Oh, he got defeated by Ronnie Garvin on a WF House show in 1990. I'd say that was brutal. Um, he was Todd Overbow. He he was on Superstars, losing an Intercontinental Title match to Roddy Piper in January of 92 as Todd Overbow. Okay. No memory of that. No, I mean, I'm sure it was a three and a half minute squash. We got no offense, right? So it was a title. It was a title match on a, on a TV show. One minute, 28 seconds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, do, you doubled the amount of time. Uh, yeah, no. I, so this is a guy, so this is a guy who worked as a WWE, an early 90s WWF jobber and somehow ended up as a Dustin Rhodes tag partner in all Japan. He was right. also, uh, yeah, yeah, eighty nine and ninety. Uh, a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of WWF. I think he was. I think he was related to Chief J Strongbow, and that's why. Because basically, his his career starts with the WWF, and it's basically only WWF stuff outside of. Ah, uh, this is what I'm thinking of. Eighty nine. This is during the. Um, uh, oops, my alarm goes off here. Uh, you know the. Uh, uh, not Kip Fry. Um, who was the guy who got a uh, control of WCW like in early '89 and then got forced out? Um, that wasn't Kip Fry. Kip no, Fry was later. Kip Fry was '92. It's okay. the guy who George Scott. Okay. So George Scott, they he was successful in like the the '80s, um, at the early '80s with Mid Atlantic, and then he was successful kind of running WWE's house show schedule in during when they kind of started the the boom period in 85 and then WCW brought him back in 89 to basically kind of run the show and he did an awful job and uh, everyone hated him and he didn't last long but uh, he brought in Vince Young who was Mark Scarpa um, and he was around for it looks like about a month 
and they gave him a push on TV and a couple of wins. I think it was a I think he was doing like a breakdancing gimmick or something like that. I think was the deal because I saw recently I was like who is this guy and I looked I looked it up but uh, okay. yeah it uh Vince Young not to be confused with former Tennessee Titans quarterback Vince Young. That's but, iconic uh, Vince Young. That Vince Young I think uh, the thing that I think you will remember most for is let me see if I can find out exactly how much he spent a month at the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, there's like an article in terms of Vince Young. He spent $5,000 a week uh, in his rookie year at the Cheesecake Factory. Cheesecake Factory is like a dessert kind of place, isn't it? Oh, right. You're, of course, a, a, not a, an American. You're, you live in Ireland. So you're not familiar with the Cheesecake Factory. The Cheesecake Factory, it's like a... It's an upscale-ish... Uh, like casual dining chain, so not you know like a level above something like an outback steakhouse, but like a below you know like a fancy steakhouse that is well known for their enormous menus, and it's something that is the American professional athletes are extremely fond of the Cheesecake Factory. But like you go to Cheesecake Factory and you can have they they have of course cheesecake the titular cheesecake, but they also have like a you know a huge. You know, got a you know, fifteen different kinds of pasta and seven different steaks and giant burgers and, and kind of famously known for their absolutely preposterous portion sizes. So if you like order a large like a Caesar salad at the Cheesecake Factory, it's like two heads of lettuce and a, well, I, every, like a every, loaf of bread made into croutons and you know, like, that's like every place I went to in America was just ridiculous portions. I was like, but including it. If you went to the Cheesecake Factory, you go, this, this is 20% more than even the most ridiculous place <laughs> I went to before. I'm pretty sure Outback Steakhouse was um, another place with the large portions. I don't really remember it that well because we were um, quite jet-lagged. Jet lagged. It was our first day, I think. Um, in This was New Jersey, I want to say, when we went over in 2013 for WrestleMania that weekend. And it was 10 a.m. But as I said, we were jet-lagged, so we were on weird body clocks and uh, um, we wanted a substantial meal at 10 a.m. because I guess we had woken up at four or whatever and had started our day early. Um, the only people in this Outback Steakhouse were the following. Me, my wife, and June Kasai. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on the other side of the restaurant, also probably jet lagged and just looking to, to start his day with a bit of, with a bit of uh, substantial grub. <laughs> Juke Sai over there eating a blooming onion. <laughs> About three quarters of the way through it, he goes, This is the worst decision I've ever made. Even then, <laughs> even worse than the time I like dove off a balcony with a light tube taped to my back. I was like, I'll, I'll do that 10 times more than finish this blooming onion. <laughs> That's great. That's so weird. <laughs> How many uh, WrestleManias have you been to, Al? Um, I think six. Uh, New Orleans twice. New York, New Jersey, and being the one, um, San Fran, uh, Miami, Orlando. Yeah, six. Okay. Um, I've only ever, I've never been to the, the actual WrestleMania. I went to one, like, indie show weekend run in, in uh, New York a couple years ago, whenever they were in New York. 2019? 2019, yeah, I did. I did, like, a four four indie shows in a day in New York. So I'm going to convince my wife to 
tag a trip on to New, into New York. We we're already on the East Coast on a different trip. And I was like, let's, can I do a week, a uh, day? So I met up with Segunda Caeta's own Eric and uh, Ritz and Tom Karagaster, and we did like, uh, um, like the collective. Those four show days are crazy. No, I'm so stupid. Like, we definitely, because we definitely <laughs> did like, we did three shows at the same venue, then we tried to go across town to an MLW yep. show. It was a fucking disaster. Like it was like it was like a really bad idea, and it, we missed you know a lot of the show, and then we had to leave early to make it back. And it's like we should have just we should have just had a nice pleasant dinner, uh, and, and then and then gone to the late night AIW show, which actually had a match in my book in on the show. So the AIW show was incredible, and I had the uh, the the um, oh Dom Garini's match, Dom, yeah, Dom yeah. Garini, Josh Bishop, I uh, I quit, which was in the in uh, Way of the Blade. Uh, that so, looked like a, a match that would have been uh, really fun to be at live. Oh my god, that, that whole that whole AIW show was actually the first four matches of that AIW show were like the best four match live wrestling run I've ever been. And then the show kind of petered wow. out a little bit. It got really late. And That's it was saying like, something. You've been to a lot I've of shows. Been to a lot of shows, but like they opened. Was that with, the was that the fourth show of that day? Yes. So wow. it was like really well, late see, at night. And it over- see, at that we, point, you've kind of got a second wind, right? <laughs> yeah, we went to this, we had these two long cab rides, expensive cab rides from MLW, which was, like I said, that was the big, that was the big mistake. We did blood, we did like blood, it was like, they had an IWTV, like, produce show, opened it. Family reunion. Family reunion, which is fine. It had like a couple good matches on it. Um, and then it had, then blood sport. And then we tried to go to MLW because Parker was going to be on there, and that was dumb. Um, and then we went back for the AIW show, and we sort of arrived at the AIW show as the first match, which was um, which was the young studs um, Bobby Beverly and, and Eric Ryan against Damian and uh, Damian's kid. They mean six 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 and um, Bestia six six six. So we just arrive and it's like Damien is like sm- driving a fork into Eric Ryan's head. It's like, all right, here we go. <laughs> so we had that. It was like that match. Um, Eddie Kingston, Shinjiro Otani, uh, and then there was a four way tag with all of their sort of really great tag wrestlers like amped up to do crazy shit. The Jollyville Fuckets and the uh, the um uh Philly Marino and um to Infinity Beyond and I think a production team, I don't remember which ones. And then uh and then Greeny Bishop. Like all one after another after another. It's like all these were great in all in different ways. And then it kinda kinda dragged a little after that. Yeah, that's the thing with those with those crazy mania weekends. I say like the the first one I went to like 2012. It was a little more reserved. Then it was maybe like one sh- one day at two shows maybe, and then there was like one show each of the other days. But then like 2013 and a couple of the other years, like tw- but 2017 and 2018 were really the just peak craziness for me in terms of just schedule. Like it was just ridiculous the amount of shows because you had everyone running and then you had all the international promotions coming in. Like um progress was was a big show in, in twenty seventeen, I wanna say. Like that had a lot of hype and um drew a big crowd. Like it was one of the it shows to kind of go to. Probably the um, number seven wrestler in the world, Marty Scroll on it, right? It might have. I can't really <laughs> remember. Um but uh uh yeah, it was um 
like those those days and, and really when they run together when you're doing a few of them back to back it's like just just these peaks and valleys you know um it's like you'll get a run of matches or a show where it's just like oh god it just it just saps your energy and then all it takes is a couple of matches just to just revitalize you and it's like it, it can be the it can be the the strangest thing that re- will revitalize you and just get you going again it's like those those weeks are an endurance battle as much as like doing anything for entertainment <laughs> like it's like you're challenging yourself as well as like looking to be entertained yeah um they're they're crazy like the one the one thing that kind of has me less like my wife still wants to go back and do uh she's still keen to go back and do it at, at, at some point and um and do a mania weekend uh i'm less fussed about it i also don't think mania weekend is gonna i think it's gonna I think something's going to get tacked on to like AEW, a big weekend for AEW. And that's going to kind of, I don't know, don't know if it'll be next year or it'll take a couple of years, but I, I think the landscape is going to change a bit with that. Um, Cause WWE just feels so kind of separate, you know, nowadays. Um, but uh, anyway, they, um, yeah, like I think one of the things that kind of, I don't love about it anymore is the wrestlers are so, like they have such a hectic schedule that you know you're not getting their best because how can they be giving you their best or working like five matches in a day they're bouncing around in taxis and changing in the car and all this and it's like like they can't just mentally be in a place to have a great match like all the time it's 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 really tough on the wrestlers and like once i kind of started like the last year i went it was like yeah this isn't as it's not as good as a, as it had been previously, and um, yeah, in some ways, I think that's why that AEW show was so good because I think they were getting some like pushback from like folks who were like, "How is this promotion, Cleveland promotion, how are they even deserve to run a Mania Weekend show or some more shit like that?" So you had like a lot of your guys like Josh Bishop and the Jollyville Fuckets, and you know, uh, the, the, those guys weren't on five different shows, right? They, this was the this was their show. And they were going to make sure that they, you know, shut their critics up. So I think it was funny because I think they actually got some false bulletin board material there because I know where that came from. It's a podcast I listen to, Voice of Wrestling, and and it was completely misinterpreted what was said and the context of how it was said. But they just ran with it. And John Thorne smartly (laughs) used it to rally the troops. And those guys were all motivated as hell and wanted to prove people wrong even though there was no one actually to prove wrong but it it worked out for the best i uh, i had josh bishop on way of the blade one of the first way of the blades talking about that match he definitely said yeah i mean people were he definitely did the that nobody believes that us bulletin board <laughs> he was that clearly was still on his mind he yeah. brought it up unprovoked on the podcast so uh, it worked oh, that's hilarious good it's for hilarious. uh you it was totally misinterpreted, taken out of context. Just we yeah, had people just just Chinese whispers of, "Oh, they said what? This was uh, like, uh, no, that's not how it went at all." But hey, it worked out for the fan. It worked out for you. You guys got a better show because of it. So yeah, for sure. Look at those guys got in a book. <laughs> Hell yeah! So, so there you go. I mean, I don't uh, whatever. Uh, I mean, I actually think both Dom Greeny and Josh Bishop have actually some. A, a decent chance of having very successful wrestling careers, but like I should, that shouldn't be the highlight of their careers. I think both, both those guys are probably going to end up somewhere. Um, 
Bishop seems like he's got to, right? I mean, he's like six foot six and, you know, built like a tank and can wrestle. I mean, there's no reason that guy isn't already signed somewhere. Uh, Greeny's a little bit more of an, uh, a niche guy, but obviously super talented and probably should be somewhere bigger as well. The, uh, competition is just so fierce now. It's, uh, the pool of talent is, um, it's quite large and it's, uh, it's hard for, you know, it's like connections are going to be a big thing. I think like who's got a connection and an end to it, like, because ultimately like AEW right now is the place where, because like with Japan kind of ice going very much isolationist right now with their border restrictions and WWE not having any interest in actual wrestlers. Um, AEW is really the, the one kind of aspiration that people can kind of really yeah. have out there at the moment. And it's like, they can only have so many people. So I mean, the WWE is interested in actual wrestlers though, right? I mean, it's another thing. I mean, the, I think the Creed, Creed brothers are both like multiple time NCAA all Americans. They're just not interested in like guys who have been like had long indie careers. I think they're just figuring we're going to sign a bunch of like athletes and hopefully this figure, those athletes can figure it out. That's not actually a terrible idea. I mean, in some ways you, for what, for what they are, for what they're, doing which is just pure content and it's a whole total different conversation but it's just pure content creation just churn shit out and uh and um not create any stars just have the brand be the the star um like it's uh you know it is i mean that's why they bring back all these old people it's because they don't have any you know they're not creating their own anymore they don't want to they haven't wanted to in, in years and that's you know that's countless things we could go down with that conversation but uh yeah yeah i mean they're looking for legitimate amateur athletes like uh toshiaki kawada and then legendary sumo akira Tawe, both oh, the guys yeah. had you know legitimate uh they great might not athletic have careers look. They might not have the look that they're currently after, but uh, they've, Kira you know. Tally had a great look, though. I mean, it really is. <laughs> I mean, that, like, that's the thing is you need to have some guys that look different. That is a different looking dude. What do right? you think What do you think Vince McMahon in 20, uh, really any year would think what he, uh, what, you know, 1991 might be the year I'd most like to see Vince's reaction to Akira Tawe because, like, Vince was all, like, into his bodybuilding that year, launching WBF, and, like, have Akira Tawe walk through the door. With skinny arms, ah, tremendous, thick chest and gut, and so good. Though. <laughs> it's kind of like he kind of had that little afro thing in in this match in ninety one mm. that he he trimmed it a little uh, as like the the months went on. But I know he just had strange haircut in in this matches and Kawada too. Kawada's hair was just incredible in in this match. He, he was like buzzed except for like the fringe and the back yeah so the long had... sideburns it really was a great look and he was missing <laughs> teeth oh jesus he good. looked and he was pale and pudgy and yeah oh it's tremendous it's so good i mean that's the thing is you gotta have some guys looks you gotta have some people look different yeah everybody like, can't look Ka- the same kawada when he was in i mean too many his... people in wrestling now it's like they all look like they go to the same crossfit gym <laughs> you know what? Kawada when he was on excursion, I think was it wasn't Stampede. I forget where Kawada did his. I think he excursion. did work in Stampede. I don't. He I, did a little Stampede. Yeah. Okay. Where wherever he was, he like um, 
he inquired about steroids, um, which, you know, naturally a lot of those Japanese wrestlers of the time would have done when they got sent on their excursion because like getting big and was kind of put on size kind of part of the the deal going away. Um, So he asked about steroids and then uh, he's told all about them or whatever, how to get them. But then he he finds out they'll make your balls shrink. And he was just he was like, nope, not having it. Not (laughs) Kawada's doing too much fucking. He's not having that happen. (laughs) That's great. I looked at it. it, He did Stampede, Texas All-Star Wrestling and then uh, International Wrestling in Montreal. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think, you know, it was Montreal and it was Tom Zank. That was the person who who he was uh, dealing with on the old, you know, that makes sense. The Tom Zank would be your, your hookup in Montreal if you wanted to get on the gas. Sure. But uh, Kawada was having none of it. So he just, I guess, decided, you know, I'll, I'll just get bigger. I'll just drink a lot of milk and lift and <laughs> beer and lift heavy things. And uh, uh, he put on a bit of size, but didn't really have that ripped physique. Kabashi kind of did, right? Like if you had to guess the guys that were... We're doing well, cycling. LOD, LOD took Kobashi under their wing. Oh, okay, um, sure. They when, do it. Yeah, when he, when they were, came over to all Japan, they he was their training partner. So, uh, yeah, he, he probably learned learned a thing or two. Right, I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking up Cage Match here. I want to find some who who are your Kawada your excursion interesting excursion Kawada matches. All right, so looking at this is like eighty three. I guess I can. Montreal. Type in Montreal here. Let's see who he. Um, I've got him against. There's a, apparently wrestled Rocky De La Sera. Singles match. A singles match against Samu in '86. I'm kind of oh, intrigued by that. That must be good. I think it looks like Sam. what three minutes? So maybe not. <laughs> Samu squashed him. Sailor White and Sheik Ali against Ron Ritchie and Kawada might be pretty good. Uh. Team with Armand Rougeau to lose to Chuck Sims and Goldie Rogers. Uh, I don't see him against Zink, but it uh, doesn't mean they didn't wrestle Zink. Um, that's I mean, I don't, there's not, we don't have a ton of Montreal footage. I think there is some Kawada and Stampede like stuff. I think that does. Um, he worked as Black Memphisto. I wonder if he worked under a mask. Yeah, and that's um for new, modern New Japan fans. Um, Taichi's Black Mephisto finisher is named after that being Kawada's excursion name because Kawada was Taichi's uh, trainer. I believe Taichi is the only protege of uh, uh, Toshiaki Kawada, the only guy he ever trained. Okay, he teamed as the Japanese force in San Antonio. Um, and feuded with the uh, with Fiyuki. So Footloose as a tag team worked San Antonio, and it apparently looks like feuded with the American Force, who is Paul Diamond and Shawn Michaels. So there, that, that 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 they wrestled at least twice, according to Cage, but probably wrestled more than that. But that was clearly like they were clearly brought in by somebody as the Japanese Force to take on the American Force. Um. Which is intriguing. I don't know. I don't, I'm not the biggest Shawn Michaels fan, but I am kind of interested when a Paul Diamond, Shawn Michaels versus Footloose match in San Antonio in 85 would have been. Look at January 86. It's Black Mephisto versus Benoit all over the place. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not like eager to search out Chris Benoit matches. No. But, that, uh, you know, if I could. Take, it catches your eye when you see, uh, when you see those two pairs. Yeah, they wrestle each sure. other. I'm, I'm looking at the same thing. They wrestle each other a lot. I mean, it looked like they were touring partners. They wrestled some time limit draws. 
Um, so what is he wearing? Do we know? Was he wearing a mask? Uh, I don't think so. I think I've seen him as Black Mephisto. I don't remember him. I, I've never seen him wrestling with a mask. And I think I've seen a, a decent amount of whatever's been online over the years of this stuff. Because it's it mostly like clips or, or whatever. It's nothing really substantial I ever remember seeing. But uh, I don't recall him ever wrestling with a mask. Not to say that he didn't. But uh, it, it's, to, at some point he starts wrestling as Kyo Kawada um, with a T. And there are a bunch of singles matches against uh, Honky Tonk Man. Oh, um, yeah, Honky Tonk Man and Man Jerry Morrow uh, teaming with Owen Hart against uh, Chick Scott and Drago Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> Household names, if ever there were. <laughs> sure. I'm intrigued by uh, the uh, all these Bill Kazmaier. How Kawada would have worked worth oh, Bill Kazmaier. El, Can- El Kinek versus Kyo Kawada. Yeah, El Kinek. <laughs> The great Alcadac, that has got to be weird. <laughs> oh, shit. Chick Scott and Honky Tonk Wayne versus Kyo Kawada and BJ Annis. And if you don't know who that is, it's Teddy Hart's dad. <laughs> I did not know. Is Teddy Hart's dad a good wrestler? I don't think so. He didn't last very long in wrestling. He got out and ran a steroid gym, pretty sure. Okay. Teddy Hart. <laughs> His cage match that a background in sports, bodybuilding, wrestling style, powerhouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, I mean, Teddy Hart probably murdered, murdered like at least one person, but you know, it's time for Teddy Hart as a wrestler. <laughs> it's a boyfriend, probably not as much, but uh, <laughs> it's a wrestler. Teddy Hart's a guy that I've enjoyed in the past. <laughs> A stupid guy. I saw him. He was really great when I saw at the MLW show. I mentioned WrestleMania weekend. He was like the highlight of that show. Uh, it was like throwing really stiff punches and you know, like nice looking suplexes. Any hard. Got, uh, we got some uh, Cuban assassin. We got some um, uh, Muck and Sing teaming with Black Mephisto. I'm a big. Uh, I'm a big. Um, What's the guy's name? Trucker Norm, Bastion Booger. I remember all his gimmick names. I can't remember his actual name. Um, it's fine. But yeah. <laughs> Bucket he was, thing. Yeah. We all know who he is. Yeah. yeah. He was good before he got he got too big. Um, yeah. That's I'm curious what you're like. What a, what like a hockey talk man versus young Kawana match. A singles match in Regina. Uh, it, it either <laughs> one of the two was not happy about the match at the end of them. Either Honky Tonk was not happy because he got hit too hard, and we know more than maybe any wrestler ever, Honky Tonk does not like to get hit hard. Or else uh, uh, Kawada was unhappy because he didn't get to hit him hard. I um, one of those said, two right, things happened. I'm going to hit you hard. This is how it's going to go. Uh, yeah, Ta- Taiwan never think so. I think he's too he? big. You know, he's too big. I don't think they. You know, they didn't felt like they needed to develop him. Like he couldn't fit in the plane. <laughs> like he couldn't <laughs> fit in the plane. You know, send away your heavy heavyweights, <laughs> right? Like send away your juniors. Well, you see, Alan, planes <laughs> planes in 1986 weren't built like they were yeah, today. Send away <laughs> your juniors. You know, you'd send away your heavyweights. Uh, did um, what? Masao is in Mexico. Did he ever work the United States? Um, I don't. I mean, he worked the United States. Did in, maybe uh, like a one-off, like a you know whatever the uh, 
the brief um, APW uh, spinoff that Mike Modest ran in Northern California. I know we worked that, but I meant as an excursion. He may have like done like when um, uh, when Baba would do like a Baba would come over and have a big match if like Masao was the guy who was over at the time in Mexico, Kansas City, or something like that. Sounds right. Because Kobashi didn't either, right? I don't remember. Kobashi didn't wasn't the idea that Kobashi's first ever, like, or that was only his, like, second or third American match against yeah. Samoa Joe. Yeah, Kobashi, Kobashi definitely didn't. Um, okay, so there's a couple of uh, Tiger Masks. So Tiger Mask against Tommy Sharp in uh, Kansas. So this was, yeah, this is taped by Nippon TV. Yeah, this, I thought this might be the show. So... This was that big show where they did the British Bulldogs sure. versus the Rock and Roll Express. Time limit draw. Pat O'Connor is the ref. And the main event was Jumbo and Yatsu against Stan Hansen and Gordy. Uh, they had the Funk Brothers on here. Tenru on here. Um, so it was like a real big show for like the All Japan guys kind of coming together in 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 America. Um, and uh, yeah, he, they, they made sure to use him on that. But he had already been back in japan at that point i think so this would have yeah he definitely would have been so this was after his his run in mexico um yeah i think that might be the only oh he's um he was in the crockett cup 1986 uh team that's with right with, that. uh, and then of course worked the, yeah. what, he worked two roh shows and uh oh. and uh or one hour he at least worked once in roh right yeah, once in ROH, uh, he did the UK uh, twice. Um, and yeah, I think that was it as far as uh, international experience. But um, to add to the list of scumbags we've mentioned on the show today, uh, the AWA Wrestle Rock Rumble 86, uh, Tiger Mask defeated right. Bucks. I mean, we've mentioned some real dirtbags, but Bucks Umhoff would probably be even lowest on the well, list, yeah. right? Well, yeah. yeah I, What's worse, <laughs> molesting kids or murdering them? Uh, yeah, right? I mean, I guess murdering them's worse, not just, right? Not just kids, your daughter. <laughs> Jesus. It's got, it's got grim on the, the way of the blade. Look how I mean, to rake up a pederast yeah. and, a, and, a, and a family exterminator. I don't know how we, where we would rank them. I mean, Benoit's better in the ring, for sure. I don't know if he gets credit for that. <laughs> oh, I, I almost feel bad now that we're lumping Teddy Hart in with these guys, but not, yeah, not, well, not, I mean, not all that Ted, bad. That girl just disappeared. We don't, we're don't. we not even sure she's dead, right? And we don't know whether, what other Teddy Hart actually anything to do with that. Well, it's just a suspicion. It feels like, doesn't it feel like our, our, our mutual uh, acquaintance... Uh, David uh, Bixis man should I think I've even pitched this to him. Shouldn't he do like a uh, true crime podcast? Oh, it'd be it'd be awesome. I uh, I mean, is I that like to figure out what happened to where did where did this girl go? I mean, true crime. You know, he's a guy. He's I mean, I couldn't do that, right? No, like, I don't have no. any investigative reporting skills. I'm not gonna be able to find anything no, out. Bix right? is like a but bulldog. It feels like, yeah, you know, like a like a five six part. You know, get on a get on like you know. A, podcast platform or something uh you know just do like a do like a real crime true crime 
serial, except what happened to that girl that was dating like Ken the, 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 the detective work that Bix did, in, along with Chris Elner, for their um, uh, ECW on TNN series, and like the background of all that, and the shenanigans they discovered from like stuff that was never reported. Oh my god, like just that that stuff if you've if you've never listened to, to that subscribe to the between the sheets patreon there's a plug for the lads just to get those ecw on tnn shows in because they, they they do great work they really those guys are, they really dig those guys through are nuts I've, I've been on i think we both been on between yeah. the sheets before right those guys are i was like i did one recording with them and they were like yeah you know we recorded for like two and a half hours like can we call you back tomorrow and i'm like what? See, I'm. <laughs> you going back tomorrow? I'm. I'm, always, I'm in a guess, man. <laughs> I'm. The, I'm the issue when I do shows, man. Because I, they end up, they end up picking me for shows like, like, uh, ROH WrestleMania Weekend 2006, which is like, like some of my greatest wrestling memories. They just get me on, and I just talk about it for like five hours, and we don't get to anything else. So they're like, well, I guess we'll have to do a part two. I'm like, sorry guys, I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, but, but subscribe to if you're listening to this and you're wondering you want to if you're thinking this is the, the hour seven or whatever I'm going to do with the hour today is not enough <laughs> and you want to listen to some people do you know two six and a half hours on, on that ECW and you that's a that'll it'll take you on a it'll it'll uh, be your partner on a long road trip. Oh yeah. Uh, if you've got like one of those jobs where you can listen to podcasts all day, it's a good uh, it's a good time waster for sure. Yeah. Or uh, um, we, weekend uh, weekend jobs around the house is always it's always a great accompaniment <laughs> for. But uh, that's that's your move. The weekend jobs around the house. And I got two little kids. It's like I can't put the headphones. Uh, in. Yeah, that's, that's uh, a good point. Much. It's like you, know, you got to be like I have to be. You got to keep your head on a swivel. Because <laughs> um, you know you don't know exactly what those two are going to be doing. Get, get, All right. Do we have anything you? Uh, do we have any other uh, thoughts I, we have on Kawada and Tawa? I have one pressing we... question for you on Kawada and Tawa. I don't know if you have an okay. answer, but I'm curious if, if you do. Is there a favorite Holy Demon Army tag for Phil Schneider? Yeah, it's probably the... Uh, it's probably Masawa Akiyama. Okay, so that's Tag League Final 96. Yeah. I think that's probably it's it. a great chat. Um, it's I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's a kind of a boring answer, right? Because it's like okay, you're gonna pick the most their most famous greatest match against each other against anyone. Well, I would um, say most. Match, I would say more people would go with the '95 June 9, June fifth '95 one against Masao and Kobashi. I think that might be the the more popular pick. It's also really great. I Kobashi sometimes. It's all, so sometimes with me, it's just like, all right, yeah, I got it. <laughs> like his, like his, 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 like real, his, like really demonstrative stuff doesn't, uh, doesn't always connect entirely with me. Folks say uh, you, this is an audio podcast. You can't see this, but I'm shooting daggers at Phil right now. It's just the, the filthy I, look I am giving him is, oh. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I'm just saying it's like, you know. It's a little theater kid for me sometimes. It's Kenta Kobashi we're talking about. It's not I, I understand. I look, I, you know, I just a little like Anne Hathaway's at, at the Oscars for me on uh, Kobashi sometimes. And so, you know, if I had to absolutely pick, not that they're not both great matches, I'm going to go with that one. There's a, a really great match they had against uh, Andre the Giant and Baba. Holy Demon Army is, against Andre and Baba? I don't think I've yeah, seen that one. I might have uh, yeah, about it. It's 
uh, I thought, or it might have, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it was, uh, I'm sorry, I think it was Masala and Kawada against Andre. Yeah, that makes more sense because by the time Holy Demon Army were teaming, that was real late in the day for Andre. <laughs> um, um, so, that, so maybe that, sorry, that's really good though. Yeah, I'll uh, give for, I'll give for, you a sneaky yet personal favorite of mine. I don't think it's their best match, but it's a it's it's a it's a personal fave. Um, uh, ninety seven tag league, Hovi Demon Army against Hayabusa and Jinzei Shinzaki. Oh, that's a really good match. That is really good. I, I they have that that the Hayabusa Shinzaki. They have a really great match with Tom and Honda and Inoue yeah, too, right? Yeah. Is Tom and two, Honda Inoue? Tom? I think it was Tom and Honda in a way. They have two matches with them. And um, or was it Izumita actually? And uh, it might have been Izumita. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they have two matches for the All Asia Tag Titles. They have a great match with them and Misawa Nakayama as well from the '97 Tag League. But the the Holy Demon Army match is great because like the through line story of the match is uh, Jinzei Shinzaki wanting to do his uh, as I say this word uh, tongue in cheek because I love it, but his his bullshit top rope rope walk uh, gimmick <laughs> and Akira Taue having none of it. It's like, fucker, you are not doing this to me. You think I'm going to hold your hand here as you walk across ropes? Nah. <laughs> but then eventually he gets it and the, the place goes nuts. It's, they just tell a great story with that. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really, the, the, that Koba, uh, Hayabusa, Shinzaki, like, or coming into all Japan stuff was really fun because they didn't do a lot of guys from outside promotions. No coming in hardly ever yeah. right so to see like these two like a mikadoku pro guy and an fmw guy like working in this style and didn't always work but when it didn't work it was it didn't work in fun they ways were starting like to do more, but baba baba had started opening his mind with that and uh or opening his mind to that um in those later 90 years when like people do say okay the the style had kind of become um overkill at that point and, and certainly yet yeah, the stuff you were seeing the four pillars doing together at towards the end of the decade had lost some of its luster compared to the earlier stuff but i think the cards themselves were still really interesting because you had these guys coming in from fmw and, and michinoku pro as he said but you also had kakihara and albright takayama coming in from UWFI and bringing a totally different style to things. Albright and Kawada is a really interesting match for Kawada, having to face a very different kind of wrestler than he had had in his, his whole run. Um, Hiroshi Hase coming in. I know a lot of people don't love the Hase in All Japan stuff. I'm a big fan of it. Um, and uh, who was the other one? Yeah, right at the end of the decade, Vader coming coming in. He added a right. ton to the, to the promotion. So... Yeah, like if Baba didn't pass away and there wasn't the the split and and everything kind of remained together, I th- I think there was potential for them to kind of kick off a, a new, you know, if everyone was on the same page and and working together and and moving in the same direction, there were, I think there was more than enough potential for them to kind of create their next wave of success um, with things yeah. they were doing. It would have been interesting if they, if that split had been more of a split. Like, I would have liked to see what it would have looked like if All Japan had kept a handful of the guys, if it wasn't everybody but Fushi and Kawada leaving to form Noah, right? Like, if, you know, Honda and Taui had stuck And they took, they took all the lads that were in the dojo as well, so All Japan right. had no young guys to bring through because Kenta Marafuji, Sugira, Rikio, all those guys who were 
starting in the dojo or had just been in the dojo for a year or two, Kanemaru, like they all they all went as part of Noah um, because I mean all their trainers essentially were all like the guys going to Noah. Yeah, like I would have loved to see a Kawada versus like Tatman Honda match around two thousand five. Yeah, when like Honda had really developed into this super interesting. Right, he wasn't as much an ultra pan, and they wasn't like as a, as a guy who could be on the level in uh, of like a title match or something like that. I feel like they could have had some really cool shit against each other, um, and never really did. Well, it, it was it was rocky roads for for all Japan there for for a bit, and like for Kawada as well. But I think they were able to, you know, they they kind of piecemealed together enough stuff by kind of getting the relationship with New Japan bringing in guys from different places they uh, 2000 2001 is well 2001 you get mudo coming in and kind of become a triple crown champion and, and tenru coming back tenru coming back was huge tenru coming back was the best because yeah. those tenru stuff the tenru cool tenru kawada tenru cool tags tenru kojima all that stuff was great yeah. So, so they were able to scramble to get cobbled together enough pieces to um, make something of it uh, um, and then Mudo kind of takes them a, a totally kind of different direction yeah. where he kind of gets it's like a, it, it feels a completely different company but like 2004 when Mudo's fully running the show at, at that point um, and Kawada's not as much of the centerpiece as yeah. he was in 0203. Yeah, my boy Fujiwara shows up and works some undercards in 2000 has some fun stuff. Yeah, they were using uh, they were using too. young Toriumon guys on the undercards, Grand Naniwa, uh, PCO, like they had all if you look at those all Japan cards from 2000 when they had lost their whole roster, it's it is crazy the the guys they they filled up those cards with. Yeah, we found a handheld of uh Fujiwara uh Fuji um, which it, uh, they have a, like a long draw oh, wow. in 2000. And it was like for a while it was only clips. And then we found like the full version of it. It's pretty dope. Okay. <laughs> Get to watch. That like, sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So I it just, it, like the, the period, uh, like I, uh, you know, it was like, it wasn't like the version in your mind of that match is like one of the greatest things ever. And it was a little below the version in your mind, but still very much maybe the version in my mind is the greatest match ever. But like, uh, but like for this version was, wasn't as good as that. Like it wasn't like you what you wanted it to be was like the two most sadistic prison camp, world war two prison camp guards <laughs> from different prison camps. that have to fight each other for some reason. The POWs have captured, you know, overthrown the camps, and now are going to make these two guys, you know, fight each other. But it was, it wasn't. So that's what you wanted it to be. It wasn't that. But it's still pretty good. Oh god, tremendous! That might be your you you're you're a great man for the uh, the metaphors, Phil, and that might be your best one of today. That was that was brilliant. All right. All right. Well, do we got anything to uh, plug some stuff here? Um. Yeah. So as you mentioned at the the outset, I, I host the. Uh, Pro Rest Paradise over at PW Torch. Um, kind of, it's it's a a mixed bag of a show. Like I'll delve into new stuff, old stuff, um, stuff uh, close to home, stuff uh, in America, stuff in Japan. Like you really bounce around. Just kind of have lots of different kind of mini series that we've done over over the years. And um, it's going to be quite a a big mini series, if that makes sense. Uh, this year on the show, um, that I've 
just kicked off last week and I'm really excited for it. I have I realized that I am now 30 years as a uh massive pro wrestling fan so um i am stealing a gimmick and i am going to do not espn's 30 for 30 but 34 l 30 <laughs> and uh over the next year and a bit what i'm planning on doing is um every couple of weeks doing a show where i get a guest on and we just talk about one of my favorite wrestlers so kind of put together a list of, of some of my favorites not necessarily my ultimate favorite wrestlers of all time but certainly people who are in that conversation, maybe people who I haven't gotten the chance to talk enough about um, over the years. I, I feel I haven't kind of given them their due um, in terms of spending kind of long times talking about them on audio and, and, and doing that now over the next uh, year and a bit. So um, it kicked that off last week with Rich Fan. We did the first episode on Yuji Nagata. It was a tremendous chat. I love talking to Rich. It was a lot of fun. Just talking Nagata memories from Rich watching him on TV in the 90s and and just being a gateway into Japanese wrestling for him, seeing him on WCW, and then me discovering him in the 2000s and him becoming instantly one of my favorite Japanese wrestlers. So great episode to start with. We've got lots of fun names and fun guests on board for for those shows. Um, as i said for like the next year and a bit so it's going to be a, a long-term thing that we'll be doing um and then yeah just between that just various other shows talking kind of current events or if a topic historical or otherwise kind of comes to mind that's uh that's useful for a particular week uh, I, i'll tend to go with it so uh, and then yeah i do a bit of writing as well for the pro wrestling torch newsletter actually will be having an article in this week's torch uh sent it away earlier today so uh, look out for that just kind of talking some recent news in japan particularly the keiji muto injury and uh how his run in Noah can and should be viewed and what his absence might mean for those shows going forward and touching on some other stuff in Dragon Gate and Great and uh, a couple other places as well. So just kind of a, a bit of a news column there coming up in the torch this week. But uh, outside of that, you can find out all things about me and what I'm doing and what I'm thinking on my Twitter at Alan4L. That's probably the, the one-stop shop to... Uh, to find out what wrestling I'm watching, what I'm enjoying, and uh, yeah, it's sure uh, I try not to get bogged down in too much of the the drama of Twitter and just keep it to you know some lighthearted uh, banter about pro wrestling. I like I like talking to to other people uh, uh, who are like minded in that way on Twitter, and I, I stay away from the drama as much as possible. That's my strategy as well, and uh, I don't know. I mean, my Twitter is mostly just like, hey, I wrote this thing. Go read it. But for those who don't know, I mean, maybe you've got some specific Allen fans who've tuned into this podcast. I have a book, Wave the Blade, 100 Greatest Bloody Matches in Professional Wrestling History, which is available on Amazon.com. I've got a blog, Segunda Caida, that's got uh, me and other of my friends writing about wrestling, and we've been doing that since about 2006. Uh, and so it's got a big, long archive. I want something every day. And now every week, on uh, Mondays on the ringer.com, uh, we've, I've got three count, which is going to be uh, me listing the three best rest matches, one from WWE, one from AEW, one from everywhere else in the world of the previous week. So check all that stuff out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Way of the Blade. <laughs>